0: are the dulcet tones of Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I am Carson Sestouli, and this is Fangraphs Audio. Hello and welcome to Fangraphs Audio. In this edition of the podcast, we present an emergency pod. uh, As I explained early on in our roundtable discussion, it's that time for me as a married man to head off to the in-laws, who, against all odds, possess only a dial-up connection. Luckily, Pod Stalwarts, Dave Cameron, and Matt Clawson join me, as well as Jackie Moore. In what follows, we continue to marvel at Jose Bautista's achievement early on in the season. We discuss the three young pitchers who were in the early running for the American League Rookie of the Year title and how they get to the same end by different means. We use that as an entree to help understand how Chris Narvison and Sean Markham of the Milwaukee Brewers get so many swinging strikes despite the fact that they feature considerably below-average velocity, and finally I hijack the podcast for my own nefarious ends and ask the members of our roundtable which broadcasters have most shaped their view of baseball, and perhaps alternatively, which ones make them nauseous. If the listener should happen to encounter any technical difficulties while listening to the podcast, you can rest assured that it's almost definitely the fault of our man Matt Clawson, all of this, and so much more, on this particular edition of Fangraphs Audio. It is uh, Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Uh We've called together an emergency podcast uh, as I've realized that uh, I'm going to my in-laws' house um, tomorrow, Wednesday. Uh, I don't know exactly when the listener is listening to this. Uh, but I'm going to my in-laws in upper Michigan where um, broadband uh, does not reach – a place to where broadband does not go. Accordingly, they have a uh, dial-up connection. Um, is it a militia
1: compound of some sort? It's
0: a, it's something like that. I mean everything in northern Michigan is a little bit like a militia compound, um, less so in the summer because you have people from the big city uh, like Grand Rapids going up there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but – but otherwise, yeah, it's a little bit like a militia combat. So is there
1: like there's a Zondervan Press uh, convention up there.
0: I, is it a reference to something I don't understand that clause?
1: Er, er, there are a lot of uh, religious, I mean respectable uh, religious presses in Grand Rapids. I
0: forget well, I know that they have a lot of Calvinists, and I didn't even know that Calvinism was yes. still a thing that existed.
1: I guess uh, we can go into that some other time. But in, indeed, it does. Oh. I, I have a lot of connections in Grand Rapids. Okay.
0: Well, we'll do a Calvinist. Uh, dedicated podcast uh, next time. Uh, and this time we've called together an emergency podcast and the listener will already have heard uh, the voice of our man from the frozen north, Matt Clausen. Uh, and it should be noted, uh, Clausen, you may or may not be able to stay with the end of us because you have a sleeping child. Is that right? Yeah.
1: And he, yes. And he's uh there been some adventures with him today. So yeah, I may have to go uh, off on another expedition, now tell me, tell me, this is that—that's
0: your child, right? That's the child that you're the father <laughs> of, and not just someone you borrowed. You <laughs> better be. Okay, good. Right. All right. So that's Matt Clawson. Uh, additionally, we've uh, no Joe Polakowski, um, but so playing the part of Joe Polakowski today uh, will be another uh, one of our contributors who has roots in New York. Um, uh, calling uh, all the way from across town is Jackie Moore. Jackie, how are you?
2: Hey, I'm doing all right. How about you?
0: Yeah, I'm well, Jackie. And now, uh, you, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, your your father, um, who I've never met, but I understand he's a kind of an interesting guy, is from Brooklyn, New York. Is that right?
2: That's correct.
0: Yeah. And do, now, does he have a Brooklyn accent?
2: Yeah, he does. Definitely.
0: Would you describe yourself as having a Brooklyn accent?
2: Uh, no. Mm. No, I pronounce my H's.
0: Right. And you, uh, and otherwise, you're Midwestern, I would say, Wisconsin, yeah. Wisconsinite. Yeah, uh, Well, Jackie, it's good to have you here, and uh, the re- uh, the listeners should be advised. We're actually going to be discussing a couple of brewers today, so uh, Jackie's insight will be invaluable, by which uh, by which I mean you wouldn't want to pay anything for it. Uh, finally, joining us from the American South, uh, it's our full-time employee, a man no stranger to the in-laws himself, uh, Dave Cameron. Hey, Dave.
3: Hey, yeah, the in-laws are awesome.
0: Right, and now, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Dave, your in-laws actually live in the, in the same town as you, if not far away.
3: Yeah, 20, 20 minutes away, and we're actually uh, moving into a new house next month, and we only got an extra three minutes on uh, distance, and I was, uh, was a little sad about that. I was hoping to get a little further away.
0: Dave, you, you've been married for a little bit, and Klaus, this is not to exclude you, because I assume that you have in-laws too, so you can jump in if you want. It, do you think it's a universal, er, that people, uh, that the relationship with the with the in-laws is i don't want to say strained but i know that it's just maybe it's because like family is a very intimate thing and then when you to enter someone else's family it's always going to be difficult or have you met people with very good relationships with their in-laws
3: now, i do have some friends who really like their in-laws and actually my wife and my mother get along fabulously it could be because there's three thousand miles between them but when they do hang out they really do like each other
0: that's good Klaus, have you have you ever had a, an in-law situation
3: you,
1: well, in terms of having them, yes. But, you know, it's, yeah, there's always going to be those tensions, but it's the usual stuff because it's just, uh, you know, when you're around your parents after a certain period of time, it's hard not to sort of revert, or at least for one side to revert to dynamics from when you're a child. Right. And that is, uh, look, that's not fun, even if it's your own parents. And then it's pretty weird for the. In-law spouse in that situation, and, and the parents, and so it's just awkward. So yeah, I get along well with my with my in-laws and, and, and my and my mom. But uh, you know, uh, I've always found distance to be a real uh, oh, sweetener.
0: Bump. Yeah, buffer in that. So now, now that child in your house, uh, do, do his parents get along uh, with their respective in-laws? Uh, the child stolen. Okay, swimmingly. Uh, Okay, well, let's talk. I don't want to get too crazy, but I was thinking we might talk about baseball. Um, I want to start with picking up on something that uh, recently um, appeared in our pages. In fact, yesterday, Tuesday – no, in fact, today is Tuesday, uh, recording this – yesterday, Monday, uh, from uh, our full-time employee himself, Dave Cameron, uh, discussing not just one, but it required two posts uh, to accurately – I guess uh, cover Jose Bautista um, Dave uh, you know I don't necessarily want you to repeat everything from those posts but what, what, is, what is it about uh, Bautista that he in fact deserves two posts
3: well I think over the weekend uh he went nuts in minnesota i mean this is one of the jose batista facts that i put up in the second post but uh in three games jose batista hit five home runs in minnesota the twins have hit six home runs in their home stadium all season he almost matched that in a series where he got 15 plate appearances uh i think you know things like that demand a little more attention and uh what jose batista is doing right now is probably the biggest story of the season and so when I got done with the first post, I still had you know, seven or eight interesting things left to say, so I just did another one.
0: Right. And now, I mean, Jose Bautista is at a point now, I think you said, like, were he to maintain his pace, he would be like a 14-war player. Um, even if he hits something like what his um, Zips rest-of-season projection suggests, there's still a cha- You know, there's still, there's still a pretty good chance that he'll be a 10-win player. Uh, I remember I was looking at, at this the other day f- uh, for different reasons. And um, I think there have only been there have been uh, 88 uh, 10 win batter seasons uh, ever, uh, so it's not something that happens very frequently. Uh, I mean, who is who is Jose Bautista? And, you know, as far as players were we've seen or you know or some probably we haven't seen because we weren't alive yet.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, I think most people go back to Barry Bonds because he was the most recent player who has done anything like this. And, you know, honestly, the approach is kind of similar. Where Batista has adopted that, I'm not going to swing unless you throw it down the middle. And if you do, I'm going to hit it 600 feet approach, which is what Bonds did for 2001 to 2004 when he was maybe the best player ever, uh, or at least in the discussion. Um And, you know, I think with Batista's surprising breakout, people like to use the steroids allegations or the sus- of performance enhancing drugs and so they'll tie it back to Bonds. It's hard to get away from that analogy, honestly, because it's the most recent dominating performance like this that we've seen. But Bonsista, besides the fact that he's performing at a Bonsian level, isn't really anything like Bonds. He's right-handed. Uh, he's obviously got a very different pedigree. He's not as good defensively. They're pretty different players and so to me, the guy that I would comp him to is kind of Gary Sheffield. That's who the swing reminds me of where he just swings <laughs> with all his might and hits the ball really, really hard. Uh, this is kind of what like, the absolute peak Gary Sheffield could have been or was in some years. was just going a little bit beyond that.
0: And, and without uh, the injuries, perhaps, too, in, in, because for however many games Sheffield missed, he, there were probably other games for which he was injured that he played, right? Right,
3: yeah. I mean, Sheffield, when he was healthy at times, was probably the best hitter in baseball. It, they didn't last for long stretches and he was never the most dominating player over a long period of time but I think Batista is kind of having that Sheffield when healthy kind of performance and so if if someone asked me who does Batista remind me the most of it would be Sheffield
0: Now Klausen, you're up there as we've mentioned in the frozen north uh, by which I mean Canada of course uh, and I'm curious as to how uh, the, the Torontonians or the Canadian press or fans, etc. Like, how well they deal with this because they're not used to success. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're our, our kid brother, uh, by which I mean we, in the United States. Um, and I wonder what it's like, how they generally react to having someone like Jose Bautista who's, like, at this point, just, just doing disgusting things to baseball. Do, you, do they seem to know how to deal with it?
1: Well, your great heritage he's inherited from Adam Lind. Um, One good season he had. Uh, uh No, I mean, look, they're just, you know, they're playing, yeah, I don't think, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm among the baseball fans, obviously. I mean, uh, that's true. I mean, I don't think it's bringing tons more people out to the park, but there's definitely excitement about it. You know, they're openly calling him, uh, the announcers, uh, the best uh, best player in baseball, which, you know, true talent, stuff aside, blah, 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 they're entitled to do. Uh, I mean, what's saying to me about looking at a Zip's rest-of-season projection here is that, uh, you know, you're used to there being some regression and stuff, and maybe say, like, yeah, he was a little conservative or whatever. It's 422 WOBA. <laughs> you don't see his Zips rest of season.
0: Oh, so that's
1: a. Uh, is You don't often see that. <laughs> uh, and that's a that's, you, you, 422 was his WOBA at the end of the year last season.
0: <laughs> right, which was a, a wasn't like oh sorry all time uh, career year uh, type WOBA season, and to yeah, have a yeah, which
1: year. is awesome. That's that's a that's a. That's an Albert Pujol season. Right? Uh, so basically, you know, after regression and the ca-outing we're expecting him just to have an Albert Pujol season for the rest of the year. Uh, which is amazing. I think there's an interest. so people are excited up here. I think there's an interesting parallel, although, uh, I don't know how to put this. Uh, you can almost call his emergence last season as, uh, uh, just to ration up the rhetoric here. Ben's Zobrist on steroids. <laughs> Right. Well, of course that- <laughs> Obviously, about, without the last implications. I mean, obviously, he's much better than... Uh, he's hitting much better than even Zobrist ever did. But I think there's a... That I might even write about. As you're hearing this, I may already have published that. I don't know. There's a really interesting parallel with Zobrist here. Here's a guy who was an infielder uh, who had some promise. I mean, there's some differences, too, because Zobrist never showed any power. Uh, whereas Bautista least showed slightly above average power, but seemed to have a good strike zone judgment. In that case, maybe Zobrist uh, had a better had better uh, strikeout rates, but they both had you know above average walk rates. And then I suddenly sort of out of nowhere, uh, changing their swing, just swinging a lot harder, and just uh, producing massive power. And both you know they're both uh, in, in Zobrist's case, he splits time between infield and outfield, and in Batista's case, it's uh, never much of a third baseman. I don't think uh, other people might different opinion there, so it's, uh, I mean, there's really nothing to say, it's a. It's an astounding transformation, but it's, uh, <laughs> I remember thinking, before the season, thinking, well, this guy will hit, you know, think, you know I, I agreed with Dave, I, I think it re- was a reasonable contract, there was some risk to it, uh, but I didn't, I thought, I, I didn't think at this point that I'd look at his rest of the season and say, yeah, he'll just hit, like, last season, I thought he'd be, you know, more like 380, 390 open, not talking about him finishing you know, maybe four, 450 or something.
0: Right, like yeah, it was unlikely that he was going to be able to do that. Um, Jackie, I, w- I wonder, I mean, you've spent some time watching uh, NL Central teams and Albert Pujols. I don't know how much time you've gotten to, to watch Jose Bautista at this point, but, you know, to, to the degree you have, I mean, do you notice similarities, or are they sort of a different player for you? Um, you know, we could talk about approach or product or something else.
2: Uh, they're definitely different. Um, Pujols is just, like, a contact hitter that hits the ball incredibly hard every time. Like, his line drives, it's just everything he hits goes harder than you'd expect it to off the bat, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And uh Bautista is just a guy where it's like, that's a swing that's made for home runs. This year he hasn't been striking out like you'd expect the kind of free-swing power hitter to, although, I mean, that, that could come back. There's a but certain... Then it, there's a
0: certain violence in Bautista's swing, I think.
2: Yeah, I agree. There's not violence in Pujols' to swing. It's one of the cleanest swings ever.
0: Right. Now, which now, who would be your comp of the two? Because uh, the the listeners should know that Jackie uh, is on a what a nationally uh, nationally ranked club baseball team. Is that accurate?
2: Uh, yeah, that's right. We're going to the World Series uh, for club teams next week.
0: Yeah. Are, now, are you? I know you're left-handed, but are you more of a Pujols or more of a Batista? You know, if you had to classify yourself,
2: more of a Derek Barton.
0: Okay, that's a third. <laughs> that's a third guy. we'll, we'll look for Barton's yeah. huge breakout next season. Uh, we know he. Hey, he was a
2: five-win win play. player last year.
0: <laughs> yes, he was. No, he was. Right, and you're the you're you're our our little five-win player, Jackie.
2: Thanks, I appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Um, okay, uh, so Cameron, uh, c- concluding thoughts on Batista. I mean, I guess it will never be concluding because. Uh, the games still go on, but I mean, I guess for how our perspective has changed on him?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one of the most interesting things is uh, heading into the season, the consensus was that he was going to hit, you know, 30 to 35 home runs. He would be better than he was before, but he would be probably closer to what he was before the breakout than what he was last year, and there was a big regression coming, and in six weeks, he has completely changed everybody's minds, and rightfully so. I mean, at this point, if he's not the best player in baseball he's at least in the discussion uh... he's in the top five for sure and we're talking about a guy who went from being a, a non-tender candidate uh... eighteen months ago to a guy who if he was a free agent this winter might get two hundred million dollars that's insane
0: Yeah, that's a lot of money um, you could definitely afford a subscription to extra innings on TV with that sort of <laughs> money um, I want to get to uh, this. is something that's that's not necessarily uh, performance related, but I think uh, tangentially is tangentially tangentially is tangentially. It's the it's the uh, something that's um, become a concern of mine recently, um, but it's sort of always something that I, that I've thought about. It, and I, I think you guys do too. Which was um, the uh, quality of announcers, and and you actually just br- uh, brought it up, uh, Clausen, uh, maybe unwittingly, but you mentioned that when you watch Blue Jays games now, um, the announcers uh, sort of have the right to say that uh, the player we're watching um, is the best player in baseball. Um, and it's sort of, they have the right to say that about Jose Bautista. Um, I guess one thing I'm curious about is, uh, I, I don't necessarily want you guys to, um, you know, to talk in, in, a, in a place of, you know, about which you're not comfortable but uh, we've all grown up watching baseball we all watch quite a bit or listen to baseball now um, and I'm curious as to the announcers with whom you've had the most experience um, and you know I guess maybe how how you feel that they're able to uh, shape a game or if you know if they're announcers you really like or if they're announcers you'd like to avoid uh, and so cost you actually you, because you mentioned it I I know that you uh, you live in Canada now but you're also uh, you're you were born and raised a Kansas City Royals fan, so it kind of doesn't really matter to me um, who you invoke here. But I'm curious as to like uh, the the baseball voices with whom you're most familiar, whether whether TV or radio.
1: Well, yeah, I didn't grow I didn't grow up on the Royals, but uh, yeah, you know, I don't want to rip on them too much. They have their uh, annoying spot. Uh, uh, Ryan LaFever is uh, his his Entertaining run in with Milton Bradley a few years ago and his What's wait, obsession. Wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. Bring that bring that up. What, what, what team is this? Ryan favorite for what team?
1: The, the Royals. What was the- he's, the, he's the Royals play by play it was a few years ago when uh, Milton Bradley was playing for the Rangers and having a great season and oh he did something on the, it was it was minor even by non Milton Bradley standards. Okay. Uh, I don't even know if he did anything. I was something like Josh. It was you know Josh Hamilton's big coming out party too and uh, Ryan said something about. Yo, know, just look at Josh Hamilton. If only Milton Bradley, you know, would turn his life around, life around like Josh Hamilton, we'd all embrace him too. And yeah, or
0: his wife. Bradley, around. You know, I don't know what that would mean, but it's not appropriate. Start turn, sure turn, sorry, turn his to turn his bad. life around. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Okay, now I understand.
1: <laughs> and Bradley went nuts and apparently, well, what got really angry and apparently tried to storm up to the to the booth after the game. Now that
0: was the Royals. That held the Royals. That was a few years ago. That was, that was the Royals guy. Oh, see, I I, he, I I had heard that story. I thought it was a, I thought it was actually the Rangers broadcaster, but that was actually at a Royals game.
1: Yeah, uh, Royals, Royals and Rangers. But uh, you know, I the Blue Jays guys are pretty good. I I I uh, that's what I get to see if I just turn on the turn on Rogers Sportsnet here. And uh, you know, they're not great, but they're not you know my ideals, not the uh, Boogs Boogskiambi or uh, somebody like that. But they're not bad. They're not afraid to bring up stuff. Uh, semi-sabermetric stuff. Not that that's the whole... That's the only thing you look for. I mean, they talk about relevant things. You're
0: uh, talking about Buck Martinez. Is that
1: right? Yeah, sometimes. He's annoying. But, uh, you know, if Pat Tabler's on, he's not so bad. Uh, okay, so
0: Pat Tabler is, uh, but, is, is... is a decent member of the team is what
1: you're suggesting. Yeah. I'll say that... Uh, but, but the real ju- judgment for me that they're not so bad is, is sometimes you get Yankees games here. And I... I, I maybe I just have a the wrong a weird subset of Yankees fans that I know, but does anybody like Michael Kay? Michael K <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an exhaustive list.
0: Oh, that was funny. I thought you were clarifying what he said, Cameron.
1: No, no, I, I was con- listing the people who like Michael <laughs> K. I mean, that's I mean, any, anytime you think you don't like your announcers, I mean, Yankees broadcast brings you back to earth pretty quick.
0: Uh yeah it does now Michael K, who who is does he usually work alongside Is it always Susan Waldman?
3: Um, that, this would require us to subject ourselves to Michael K in
0: order. Yeah to I do don't that. know. Yeah okay I'll, so I see we've uh, we've abstained uh, probably.
3: Basically
1: if I you know that my, that's the base I don't know if he's replacement level I don't but but Buck and McCarver are maybe one win. No well now they're they're pretty oh. close I don't know I'll let the other people fill in on that. Uh, I don't know. Fair.
0: What do you say what do you say Jackie is it is it is it Martinez or McCarver with whom you have a problem?
2: Uh it's McCarver. McCarver. you're not into I hate McCarver. McCarver.
0: You hate McCarver. You actually McCarver hate him.
2: and Buck is such a horrible horrible announcing crew.
0: Wait, do they do they ever announce together?
2: Tim McCarver and Joe Buck?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. You're saying Right, okay, cuz I was confused with Buck Martinez.
2: Oh, no. Right. Yeah, no. yeah, I see how that would Yeah,
1: yeah. that would be confusing. Yeah, but- and- my favorite moment, sorry, I, my favorite moment from Joe Buck recently was uh, last season's uh, playoffs, I don't know if it was a World Series or not, uh, when Posey was doing something great and goes, if that kid's good now, imagine how he's going to be when he is in his late 30s. <laughs> I mean, is that even, does even a dumb baseball fan think that?
0: He didn't say late 30s. He, you sure he, he, said, something like, he said
1: something like imagine how he's going to be in 10 years or something like
0: that. Uh, okay. Well, that, yeah, that's a bit strange. Um, well, okay. All right, so no, I, and I don't think that uh, – I think that it would be hard to find um, someone who both enjoyed um, fan graphs um, and also um, took much pleasure in listening to Joe Buck and, and, and Tim McCarver. I think that would be a difficult find. Um, now, Jackie, you live, of course, in, in Wisconsin and have grown up in Wisconsin. So your choices, uh, I'm sure you've done a lot of listening to Bob Euchre over the years. I sure have. Uh, he doesn't really need a lot more praise than um, certainly I'm willing to give him, but I'm curious to, you know, maybe as you've gotten older, and especially with technology you've been able to listen to other feeds, what it is primarily you notice the differences between those guys, uh, like, you know, Euchre and everyone else.
2: I Euchre mean, just has the excitement about the game that you don't. you don't – even if the other announcers have it, you just don't get the vibe from them that they do. It's like, And throw in the fact that he's clearly a great storyteller. He has... I mean, he's he's an actor, too. Like, he was on real TV shows and acted real parts, so he has, you know, performance skills that maybe others don't have also.
0: I would say that, yeah, I would say that's the case. Like, with, with Euchre, I think he probably does identify as a performer. I mean, he's hilarious. As right. well, and like he's always willing to talk about. Uh, I mean, one thing I've always noticed about him is that when he's doing like a uh, just a spot for Usinger's sausage.
2: Yes, exactly. His advertisements are worked in so well.
0: Yeah, and he owns it, and he'll he'll go on and on about the quality of Usinger sausage, and exactly what he would like to dress, uh, you know, how he'd like to dress his sausage, and exactly. How oh yeah,
2: yeah. But, a big part of announcing is filling up your dead space. Too, and he's so good at it.
0: Right now, on the on the TV side, you have uh, Anderson and Schroeder. I mean, what's been your experience with them?
2: I like them a lot. Uh, Schroeder is really, really stupid, but uh, there's a really good uh, dynamic between the two of them. Like before, Brian Anderson came, in, we had Darren Sutton, who I think is with Arizona now. I don't want to say, but anyway, like they it, it was like they really hated each other. They were blatantly insulting each other on the air. It just wasn't fun. And then Brian Anderson comes in and they get this good interplay and like, if you listen to uh, Roy Halliday, no hitter in the playoffs, Brian Anderson announced that. I thought he was great for that and I think he's, he's just a genuinely good play-by-play guy.
3: Is this the Brian Anderson who used to be a left-handed pitcher in the majors?
2: No, not at all. Uh, no, but okay.
3: curiously, that was quite a fun t- career transformation.
0: I believe actually that, uh, Brian Anderson, uh, well, I might be incorrect, but I believe he's now actually the color man for uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay. Bay. Yeah, for Tampa yeah. Bay.
3: There you go. I thought that Brian Anderson had become an announcer, but I wasn't sure if he was in Milwaukee.
0: No, and I, from what I've heard, I've seen one Rays game with him announcing, and uh, from my understanding, is he's actually pretty good. And of course, he's replacing Kevin Kennedy, um, who enough said. Right. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Kennedy's not. He's not a favorite of mine, and. Um, I think Anderson is a little bit more playful. Um, Well, one thing, uh, just as I've started uh, briefly doing these broadcast reviews, is um, there seems to be generally a a reluctance on the part of any announcer. Uh, They seem to be mortally afraid of making a show of themselves, Um, you know, sort of uh, getting into their own lives. Whereas, like. Bob Bucher isn't. No, Bob Eucher's not right, and he also happens to be the best. And I don't know if necessarily these other announcers, um, who are striving for a sort of uh, what they view as professionalism, I assume, perhaps if they open themselves up to that same degree, um, it would all it would be a failure. Uh, but well, how many of these
1: other announcers have been on Mr. Freaking Belvedere? <laughs>
0: uh, is that the pornographic version of uh, Mr. Belvedere? Yes. Okay. Um, Dave Cameron. Yeah. Um, you what if what have been I know you you grew up a Mariners family, but I'm curious as to what your sort of uh, what your announcing experiences have been.
3: Yeah, I mean, growing up in Seattle, uh we actually didn't have a TV until I was 10 or 11, so I was basically a radio only youth. Um and so I kind of learned how to enjoy baseball through having it described to me by Dave Niehaus, which is part of why and I think a lot of people in Seattle had similar feelings when he passed away as he was baseball for me as a kid and so that's when he passed it was kind of a you know it's a change This is a, you know he's announced since 1977 when the team came into existence this is the first season he's ever not been around and so it's definitely uh been a shift this year to watch the broadcasters who are friends with his and you know Rick Riz has worked with him forever Uh they're trying to be reverential and keep his memory alive but at the same time it's a different no one's ever done this before no one's ever broadcast memory games without Dave Niehaus around so it's it's definitely a change in mood, but I think the replacement guy's have actually done a pretty good job considering the circumstances are, you know, not what anyone would want.
0: Now, I, I, from what I've listened to, uh, you know, of Niehaus, or, you know, what before he passed, of course, um, he wasn't, um, I don't think that you, I don't think you would necessarily listen to him for the purposes of, like, hardcore sabermetric analysis.
3: Yeah, no, there's actually a pretty famous clip from, uh, at least famous, to me, uh, and where Niehaus was interviewed as part of the main legendary Seattle broadcasters along with Kevin Clabro. And at one point, they bring up blogs, and Niehaus just destroys blogs and talks about how he hates the internet and he hates blogs and he hates everything to do with, uh, he would never read fan graphs. He, yeah, uh, I've met Niehaus once. He had no idea who I am, which was totally fine with me, because I think he might have punched me in the mouth or something. I mean, he's not a big fan of bloggers, but that, it's okay that it's, uh, we can have a one-way relationship where I can have mutual admiration for him, and it does not have to be reciprocated.
0: <laughs> so uh, so what do you, What was the charm besides that? Do you think it – because his voice was pretty amazing. Um, I mean, is it is it a skill beyond just the quality of his voice?
3: Yeah, I mean, he definitely had the classic announcer voice, but I think there was also something – remarkably cheery about a man who called a team who was so terrible for so long. They I mean, were like, really bad. They've been bad like been for a long time. For the, From 1977 until, I think, what, 1994, they you know, never won. They made the playoffs for the first time 18 years into their existence. Uh This was not like, um, you know, he didn't have a whole bunch of good memories he could lean back on and be like, well, the team's terrible now, but remember the good times of a couple of years ago? There were no good times, and so for those of us who grew up rooting for a team that was continually hopeless uh Niehaus was able to in, impact us with some kind of love for the sport beyond the team and I think that's really important if the team is terrible but you can still make the sport enjoyable then we're really going to appreciate you as an announcer all
0: right. okay all right well I uh, I appreciate uh, the three of you for indulging me in this particular topic something I'm very enthusiastic about um now let's uh I'll turn it back over to uh actual baseball analysis uh, Cameron, I believe you actually uh has, has sort of an interesting idea about three young pitchers. Could you develop that for us
3: yeah, well, when you're bringing up things to discuss, uh I think one thing that um interest to me is maybe the comparison and contrasting of three young good rookie pitchers in the American League. Jeremy Hellickson, Zach Britton, and Michael Pineda are off to really good starts, and I think they would probably be considered the front runners for the American League Rookie of the Year right now, and uh, they're very different. I mean, Jeremy Hellickson is nothing like Zach Britton, who is nothing like Michael Pineda, and Britton and Pineda actually faced off last week in Baltimore, and to me it's interesting that we have three pitchers come into the league in their first years doing really, really well, uh, who are so wildly different, and so um, I just thought it would be an interesting topic of discussion to find out whether people prefer the high velocity, high strikeout guy in Pineda, the extreme ground baller in Zach Britton, or the guy with like twelve pitches in Jeremy Hellickson.
0: Okay, well let's bring it. Jackie. Let's go to you first. I don't, have you been able to see all three, or I, I guess even if you haven't, you could sort of discuss types, right? If we say that they're all having kind of similar performances, but uh, getting there by different means there's a if there's a type that you prefer
2: um, um yeah I haven't really gotten to see much of them the only one I've seen throw a full start was Jeremy Hellickson. and that was actually his first start last year uh which uh he actually reminded me his fastball reminded me a lot of Giovanni Gallardo for what it, reason? just in in the terms of it, it was the way it came out of his hand and the movement on it okay and he and just and he could just put it wherever he wants to
0: is there, is there a, a type of these pitchers you have? In, you know, we sort of have the, uh, like Cameron was saying, Hellickson as sort of a moderate stuff guy. And actually, that might be um, interesting to discuss what stuff might mean, because Cameron, you wrote that piece last week, of course. Uh, then there's uh, Britain as, as an extreme ground ball guy, and then Pineda, who, just, who is currently leading the, the league in average fastball velocity. Uh, I mean, is there a type to which you're drawn in particular, and, and, and why?
2: I mean, uh, the ones I think I like watching the most are the, the guys with the pi- the pitches with the great movement, which, uh, Britton has, just has one pitch, I don't know if you call it a cutter or what you'd, or a slider, maybe. But it, it just, it just breaks on, it looks like it's gonna hit the batter and then it ends up in the other's, other batter's box. It's crazy. Uh, I love watching those kinds of pitchers. Are there any others that sort of uh, fit that
0: basic mold for you?
2: Well, it's watching Zach Granke, since he's come to the Brewers that's the kind of uh he has five different pitches and they all break in different ways and that's how, and that's how despite you know you'll throw 93 and it'll look 97
0: right well i noticed that about uh being able to watch greek a little bit more you know, especially on local tv um he doesn't really impress with like straight up velocity but he's obviously doing a lot uh, I mean, ex- with the exception of giving up five runs in the fifth inning the other day, doing a lot to keep hitters off, um, off balance. I mean, I'm. You know, wh- is that is that a question of movement?
2: I mean, it's it's a combination of everything, like movement and stuff and location, obviously. But I think the movement is a big deal, especially when you have so many other pitches that you have to look for. All
0: right. Okay. Costa, do you have a do you have a sort of favorite of this type's? Uh that you like to look for, especially you know the three uh, that um, the camera brought up here.
1: Aesthetically speaking, or in terms of who would I rather have?
0: I oh, would we'll do both. Uh,
1: aesthetically, I don't know. I like uh, you know I haven't gotten to see Britton pitch uh, uh, other than isolated instances this season. Uh, it depends. You know if a guy works fast, I hate to say it, I I enjoy that. <laughs> but just in terms of pitching, uh, I uh, I. Uh, nothing against Britain's quality as a pitcher. In, ter- in terms of aesthetics, uh, I would prefer the other two. I mean, ground balling is is great in terms of quality. I, l- I like to see a lot of pitches. And, you know, look, I'm a testosterone person, too, from time to time, and I just like seeing a guy who can throw really hard. But if I had to pick, it would be a guy like Helix in, in terms of aesthetics. Now, in terms of quality, I think it would kind of be the same way, actually. Uh, look, uh, if you can prevent... <laughs> Guys, you get on base. You can keep the ball from going out of the park. You're a good pitcher, and and uh, so far, it seems like uh, Britton has done a good job of that. Uh, I, I'm not overall. I mean, uh, the ground balls are great. I'm not overall a uh, you know the, the Minnesota Twins type of approach, uh, and uh, you know where you know you're more concerned about uh, keeping. I mean, it's a very crude way of saying it. It doesn't really do justice. <laughs> to contact. To the it's, <laughs> yeah, is it is it my favorite thing because. Uh, you know, Ben Bizarro did an excellent job pitching me contact last night, which is <laughs> unbelievably unfair. But, uh, but look, it's working for Britain. Uh, I, I'm just – but in terms of, you know, long term, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, it depends on – you know, this, this brings up a lot of scouting stuff that I, I'm not comfortable talking about. I mean, I don't know if – well, uh, what, so, what, what are you – so,
0: <laughs> what are you comfortable, comfortable be, talking about,
1: Clausen? No, 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 no. I'm just saying – I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about – I don't know. Health is the huge thing you're talking about. What's the future of these guys, Right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, I'm looking at, I, I don't know whether Pineda's motion is the kind of thing that scares, scouts, and think it's great, uh, but, God, the guy is, I was, we were talking beforehand, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but I think there are a lot of doubts, uh, among us when we were in Arizona about whether Pineda was really ready to start in the big leagues, uh, and, and it didn't help that we saw him getting, uh, uh, lit up by the Indians, and everyone knows that those guys aren't going to hit this year, uh, and there doesn't seem to be any problems here. <laughs> he doesn't seem to be really uh, struggling too much. There's not a – he's not one of these guys you look at, oh, yeah, well, his ERA is low, but look at his ex <laughs> There's not a whole lot that uh, Pineda has done wrong so far.
0: Yeah, uh, well, that's true. Now, Cameron, uh, one of these guys is on the team that, you know, you write about more than any other because of uh, the USS Mariner uh, – you know, Is Pineda the guy you'd want to have on your team of the three of them?
3: Yeah, you know, it's tough. I, I've always been a little bit of a, a skeptic, I would say, when it comes to Pineda. Before the season started, I wrote a piece for USFM saying that Pineda wasn't ready for the big leagues. He has then shoved that down my throat for the last couple of months, which I've been totally fine with. Um, but, you know, I think for me, Pineda is not necessarily the type of pitcher that I think have is set up for really long-term success it doesn't mean that i think he's going to be bad but i think right now Pineda is relying on he's essentially a two-pitch pitcher he's got a 96 mile an hour fastball that he throws up in the zone and he's got a hard breaking slider which is a knockout pitch when he's going for a strikeout and those are the only two things he throws he throws them both to the right-handers and left-handers his changeup is awful and he only threw it twice last night uh he's basically shelved it and just said i'm just going to go with my two best pitches um so for me, you know, we know that fastball velocity declines at about a mile an hour per year. Uh, when Felix Hernandez came into the league, he was throwing 98-99. He's already down to 94-95. We've seen come with the same thing. I mean, we, we're pretty sure that Potato's not going to be throwing upper 90s long term. And so if he doesn't have a changeup and all he's got is a high fastball, I'm not sure how good that high fastball is going to be if it's 93 instead of 96. And so... For me, I might lean towards both Britton and Hellickson over Pineda because I think they do other things other than just throw hard up in the zone. And if that goes away, I'm not sure that Pineda has enough other pitches. Now, I would have probably said the same thing about Tim Linscombe, and all of a sudden he developed the best changeup in baseball. So, this isn't writing off Pineda in any way, shape, or form, he could develop a changeup and become outstanding. But right now, I think given their weapons, I'd probably take Hellickson 1, Britton 2, and Pineda 3.
0: Well, now I guess I'm not... I would say I'm super surprised, but I know that you uh, have a, you, you tend to be drawn towards ground ballers, so what is it about Helixson over Britain that uh, you care about?
3: Yeah, I think for me, I, I probably do have a little bit of a bias towards ground ball pitchers. I think with Helixson, his command is so good. Well, um, is everyone okay? Yeah, is Kloppen dying over there? Listen, are you- that's, that was not me.
2: No, that's me. I'm sorry.
0: Jackie, what are you doing? Why are you, why is that happening?
2: Drop the, the mic. Well,
0: stop! stop doing that.
1: You need a condenser mic. Yeah, you need a condenser. That's what Joe Paul has. Yeah, get a
0: condenser mic.
2: Apparently. I don't have a River Avenue Blues uh, company credit card, though.
0: Oh, snap. Uh, sorry, Cameron, go ahead.
2: That's right. So, like, with
3: Helixson, for me, the command is so good that I think we can project him as, I don't want to say, like, a Brad Radke type, because I think his stuff's actually a little better than Radke was, but that kind of, like... Never walk anyone prime, and you don't have to have absolutely top-shelf stuff. But if you've got four pitches that you can throw for strikes, you can be really good, even if you don't get a ton of ground balls. Where Britain, I think right now, he's got the really good sinker, and he's got a pretty good breaking ball, but the command is not top-notch. I mean, it's, it's pretty good. It's not like he's wild but he might turn into more of a Derek Lowe type than a true out-and-out ground ball ace like a Tim Hudson or something. So for me, I, that's why I'd take Hellickson above a Britton as basically the command. And, and
0: you're, not <laughs> wor- you're not worried right now about the lack of strikeouts? Not
3: really. I mean, to me, I think, you know, uh, it's, what, six weeks. Hellickson struck out a ton of guys in the minors. He struck out a ton of guys when he came up last year. Um, you know, he's being stretched out. Uh, the Hellickson stuff is there to strike out hitters. Uh, I'm not overly concerned that he's not doing it right now. Yeah, and Helix struck out a lot more guys
1: in the minors too than Britton did. I mean, that would be when I—I I mean, if I was going to say, I, I would prefer Helix to Britton as well. And I, when, with him, I just like he—he he has a similarly really a good uh, walk rates in the minors, but uh, a lot more strikeouts.
0: Right. Um. It, as a aside, I—I I think there there was a Jeff uh, Jeff Passan um, article about Zach Britton. Uh, recently uh, at Yahoo and uh, just a, a, a brief uh, segment here that was uh, pretty funny was uh, apparently um, one of his uh, coaches in the minors, Calvin Maduro tried to teach Zach Britton the cutter uh, he told Britton to dig his middle finger into the seams and, uh, and throw it this way the ball was supposed to move in against right-handed uh, hitters and it, it ended up diving a foot away and then Maduro said I don't know what you're doing just keep doing it <laughs> uh, so that's something that can happen, I guess, uh, It's one of those sort of mysteries of coaching. Uh, it, it, sort of along this lines of uh, aesthetics and maybe stuff versus product, um, there are actually a couple of uh, Milwaukee Brewers pitchers that caught my eye. Uh, just today, looking through the leaderboards, I, I was um, Jaime Garcia starting today for the Cardinals and a curious thing about him is that he has one of the highest swinging strike rates in all the majors. Uh, Despite the fact that it features a fastball um, that you know averages uh, below 90 miles per hour, um, and I don't I don't know necessarily that swinging strikes and uh, fastball velocity correlate perfectly, but you know um, when we did when we think about that concept of stuff, and uh, Cameron, you wrote a good good piece about this just uh, recently, um, saying you know when we when we say stuff we usually mean some combination of fastball velocity and uh, you know usually like a a real nasty hammer curve or wipeout slider, um, whereas a changeup uh, could be an example of stuff. And, and you know, we're like a really great two-seam fastball. Uh, we just you know typically don't use it that way. That term. Um, Garcia's what again has one of the highest swing strike rates, and I thought that was uh, confusing. And I looked at the top five, and actually, if you look at the top five uh, uh, of uh, qualifying pitchers in the league right now, um, two others of them besides Jaime Garcia are. Uh, Chris Narvison, who averages about 88 miles per hour on his fastball, and then Sean Markham, um, who averages, I believe, 86.5 miles per hour on his fastball, which is actually one of the slowest average fastballs among qualified pitchers. Uh, I don't know. I want to ask Jackie about this first, but then I'm interested in hearing from the rest of you guys. Uh, Jackie, what what's going on with those guys? I, I mean, I don't understand. It. And uh, uh, how can they're able? Uh, how are they able to uh, produce so many swings and misses?
2: They really don't throw their fastballs that often. Uh, both of them actually throw off speed the majority of the time. And the reason they can do that is that they're, it's mostly change-ups for both of them. They're change-up specialists and they're just great pitches. Especially Sean Markham. Uh, Markham has, I mean, his change-up looks like a lot of, uh, like hard curveballs that I've seen. In, in terms of I its mean, downward action? Yeah, it's, is very very good, and I mean, he used it to shut down the Dodgers again last night. gave up one run in eight innings, I believe.
0: Do you know anything about the sort of history of his change? Because he wasn't, uh, I mean, you know, he wasn't a top prospect. Um, so right. is, is that something that he's developed, or, or that he like learned uh, one off season? Do, I mean, do you know the the history of
2: that? Uh, I w- no, I don't.
0: Well, it's okay. You don't, you don't need to do it. I mean, I'm just
2: yeah, I, he's thrown it every year since uh, since coming into the league, but he's thrown it more often every year, too.
0: Uh, but yeah. he's, de- he's definitely one of those pitchers that people do not classify as a stuff guy.
2: Right, exactly. But that sh- his changeup is an incredible pitch, and it just makes everything else work so much better, I think. Because they have to gear up for that and it makes 86 seem like 90.
0: Right, and plus with the move, do we know what sort of uh, does he get a lot of swings and misses with the change, or is it uh, like you know ground ball contact?
2: I mean, just uh, from watching, he does get a good deal of swing strikes on the on the change as well as weak contact.
0: Okay, um, now Cameron, actually, uh, there are two pitchers who are who are kind of similar to uh, Markham and Narvison over um, in Seattle, and those are, one in particular, Jason Vargas, but also Doug Fister, I guess. And I, get, I think Vargas is actually doing pretty well in terms of swings and misses, too. Um, is that also, That's also with the changeup. is that right?
3: Yeah, I mean, Vargas especially, Sister's kind of moved into being more of a curveball pitcher this year. He, he threw a lot of change-ups when he came up. He switched a little bit, and he's actually getting more swings and misses now that he's working in his curveball. But Vargas is very similar to uh, and I think uh, a lot of these lefty, low-velocity guys, if they have that, you know, knockout changeup that can be their best pitch, and then everything else works off of that. And if you know, you'll hear announcers refer to this as pitching backwards. And this is kind of what my post was about last week in the stuff thing. Is I don't think anyone should look at Sean Markham and say he has bad stuff. It's just not high velocity stuff. But for 86 to 90, it's really good. And that his changeup on a scouting scale is probably a 70 or 75. It's not quite Lincecum, but it's it's a night category i mean markham's easily got one of the best change-ups in baseball and so you know i don't think we should look at sean markham and say he's not a stuff guy how's he doing it it's deception uh his change-up has legitimate movement and i think when people hear change they just think slow fastball but if you look at good change-ups these things dive and they sink and they tail and you can really get uh basically breaking ball movement on a change-up and if you can also get a hitter to think it's a fastball that's devastating
0: so uh Cameron, I know you were just talking about you know, some, some guys with velocity like Pineda or Lincecum, Felix Hernandez, whose velocity drops year after year. I'm curious um, if in terms of long-term success, if a pitcher with an excellent changeup, um, that is a, a pitch that's based on uh, way more on movement than it is velocity, do we, do we have any knowledge as to whether that uh, that sort of pitcher profiles to have a longer Slash more successful career for for that reason.
3: Yeah, you know it's a, a little tough to study these issues because we only have the uh, pitch type data back to 2002, and we only have pitch effects since like 2007. So we don't have you know 30 or 40 years of database history where we can go back and say, oh man, this this pitcher who threw this type of pitch lasted a lot longer. We have to rely on anecdotal evidence, but I would say that. Anecdotally, and again, I can't prove this, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, but I think it's definitely true that a pitcher who throws a changeup, who gets by without pure velocity at an early age, is likely to age better than a pitcher who is essentially getting outs by throwing really hard. And, uh, I think we can, we can all list a long list of, uh, pitchers who've come up, thrown really hard, and blown out their arms, come back and have never been the same, where you get a guy who I mean, Sean Markham's had significant amounts of arm problems, and he's just as good as he ever was. I think, in part, because he doesn't have to throw 93 in order to get people out. And so, you know, whether it's because pitchers are able to rebound and still succeed without throwing hard, or whether it's just because the changeup is a more effective pitch, um, you know, without the big velocity that they had earlier in their career, I don't know that we can say for certain as to why. But I think if you're going to give me two pitchers of similar value, at a young age, one has a great change-up and one doesn't, I'm taking the guy with a change-up every time.
0: Where are you going to take him? Like uh, to the woods or something?
3: Maybe at prom.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, I think that that might only be allowed in certain states. Uh, and my guess is North Carolina isn't one of them. Definitely not. <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, I regret... Um, uh, well, I don't know if I regret it, but uh, I'm sorry to say that in the, in the time that we've been talking... Um, Matt Claussen has, uh, has had to go to take care of the small child that he had kidnapped. Um, uh, so we'll say goodbye for him. Uh, while he's gone, do you or, or Jack, do you have anything to say about Claussen about behind his back? Uh, you
3: know, I think it's probably best if I uh, keep my passive aggressiveness to uh, our internal mailing list and don't put it out on, on the public airways.
0: What about your aggressive aggressiveness?
3: I don't, you know, I don't have any of that. I, I'm only a passive aggressive kind of aggressive
0: guy. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jackie, did you have anything to say behind Clausen? Uh, I'm going
2: to be aggressively passive and not say anything about him.
0: Whoa, you're super passive. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, for Matt Clausen, and then also uh, for Dave Cameron from the American South, thank you, sir. No problem. Uh, for Jackie Moore from across the town, uh, thank you, Jackie. It's been a pleasure. It seems like it has. You know, it really seems like it has. Uh, for those guys, uh, I am and will continue to be Carson Sestouli, and this has been, uh, I don't know about white hot, but smoking hot, or maybe red hot edition. That's not quite as as hot as white hot uh, edition of uh, Fangraphs Audio.